Lord Jesus, you have given us some hard things to do, to take in, to learn. I pray that you will open our ears and our hearts, and may the words of our mouths, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I'm currently reading the novel, The Underground Railroad, by Colson Whitehead. And in that book, a slave girl named Cora, who doesn't know her age but is probably around 15, is subject to regular beatings on the plantation. Her day is planned for her by her master and her overseer. And there is no humanity when attributed to the slaves by their master. Slave babies are even called pups. The first lectionary text that I read in preparation for today was this story of Hagar. And I saw it with a new lens after reading this book again to remind me of how horrible slavery was and is. I understand in one sense why Abraham and Sarah would have wondered if they had misinterpreted God's promise to them to make their descendants as numerous as the stars. Abraham was 86 and Sarah was 85 and nothing was happening. So they took Hagar, who had no choice, and they used her, which in their day was their right. She conceived Abraham had his boy, whom he named Ishmael. But there were problems with this. God hadn't intended for it to work that way. And we know the story. Sarah also conceived and then gave birth to Isaac. Now, Hagar had already run away once while she was pregnant. But now that Sarah had her own son... Sarah wanted to be rid of Hagar and Hagar's child. It got to the point where Abraham finally said to Sarah, your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. So with a sack of bread and water, Hagar and the boy Ishmael were sent away. And we know the end of this story. We know that God looked kindly on Hagar. We know that they were saved, Hagar and Ishmael were saved by a well in the desert, and that Ishmael, son of Abraham, became the leader of Arabs and Muslims who traced their lineage back to him. Isaac, we know, became the leader of Jews and Christians. And all three religions claim Abraham as their patriarch. God redeemed the mess that was made, but there have always been family issues since then. Then I get to the Matthew text. Thousands of years later, God's plan is realized in the coming of Jesus. In our lectionary text, we come into this middle of a discourse where Jesus is teaching his disciples, and the first part of the passage has to do with disciples and slaves. Jesus says, a disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciples to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. Now, Jesus used language here about slaves that would have been consistent in the world in which he lived. Disciples weren't equal to their teachers or slaves to their masters. 
and it would be nearly 2,000 years before most people in the world would declare slavery immoral. No one believes that Jesus would justify slavery, and especially if he walked the earth today. And this is also really a story about discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? Jesus talks about discipleship and what it means to be obedient. And I will, I will connect the two of these. At least I hope you'll see that. As I sat with these two texts, though, I wondered and I thought about the evolving nature of discipleship. <clears throat> the word disciple means learner, meaning that we will continue to learn and grow as we come into new understandings. The word obedient is a word that raises anxiety within me, and maybe for many of you it does too. In the past, I understood obedience to be about an unequal balance of power, as in the relationship between Sarah and Hagar. That relationship was based on submission and control. Sarah had power to dominate and control, while Hagar Hagar had no choice but to submit. And there are hard sayings in this passage which have been used to justify power and control over others. Verses 34 through 36 is an example in Matthew of how we've abused that sometimes in the church, where he says, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Those verses were used to justify things like the Crusades, killing thousands upon thousands of people. Paul's writings about submission were used to justify dominance over slaves and women. The Bible, from beginning to end, we believe, is the story of God's vision for the world fulfilled eventually through Jesus, but not yet completed. Throughout the Bible, for some crazy reason, God chose to use flawed and messed up people to carry out God's purposes, people who have sinned spectacularly at times, and people like us. Let's look around at the surrounding verses to see what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Matthew 26 through 30. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not, be, not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell, <clears throat> tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, and even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. The worldview of power and obedience allows things like slavery and dominance and concentration of wealth to continue. Because preservation of order is the goal. It views the future with suspicion and fear. 
It holds what it owns close in fear that there will not be enough. Not enough power or wealth or land if it's shared. It's based on the economy of not having enough, of needing more. In his article, The Liturgy of Abundance and the Myth of Scarcity, Walter Brueggemann writes, the conflict between the narratives of abundance and scarcity is the defining problem confronting us in the turn of the millennium. The gospel story of abundance means, uh, asserts that we originated in the magnificent, inexplicable love of a God who loved the world into generous being. And the story of abundance says that our lives will end in God and that this well-being cannot be taken from us. We are given an awesome yet terrible responsibility when we say yes to following Jesus. It goes against our instincts of self-interest and preservation. We are at our best when we look outside of ourselves and we consider what is for the greater good and what respects the value and the dignity of others as God's beloved children. We live into Jesus' vision when our vision is to work along with him and our fellow community of believers to heal our communities and our world. This means that we will sometimes find ourselves in conflict with those who work hard to preserve the status quo. It, means, it might mean suffering and death. The bread of life that is Jesus, the living water that he gives is everlasting. It's never-ending. But in God's economy, that's not a gift for us to hoard. In our everyday, ordinary lives as his disciples, we are to share that bread of life and living water. In May 2013, Kayla Muller spoke at her dad's Kiwanis Club two months before she was captured by ISIS militants in Syria. And she said, For as long as I live... I will not let this suffering be normal. It's important to stop and realize what we have, why we have it, and how privileged we are. And when asked what kept her going in her mission, she said, I find God in the suffering eyes reflected in mine. If this is how you are revealed to me, this is how I will forever seek you. On March 12, 2017, Michael Sharp and Zaida Catalan were abducted by rebels in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Michael had dedicated his life to bringing peace to troubled parts of the world, often forgotten by the general public. He's quoted as saying, Places of intense conflict are also places where creative solutions are born and put to the test. If Jesus' example is for everyone everywhere, what does that look like in eastern Congo, where war has been the norm for 20 years? His UN partner, Zaida Catalan, was equally committed to healing the world. She worked as an expert in gender issues, sexual violence, and human rights in the DRC, Palestine, and Afghanistan. Her friend, Isabella Lovain, said... She was a person who not only talked about making the world better, but she put down her soul to really do it. Kayla, Michael, and Zaida knew something about the terrible responsibility of discipleship. 
Richard Lisher, who is a famous preacher, wrote, Our love is like a boomerang that no matter how piously we aim it at others, always comes wheeling back to our own desires. I have a two-year-old grandson, and he is so precious to us, and my hopes and dreams for him are that he will feel extravagantly loved, and I hope for a good and maybe even a successful life for him. I want him to be happy. I certainly don't wish hardship or suffering on him. If I can, I will do my best to keep him from hurt and harm. And yet, I want my grandson to be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus tells us that following him is a life that is filled with risk and suffering and even death. Sometimes I think that Jesus could have used a marketing expert on his team. He sure didn't make following him sound all that appealing. This journey with Jesus seems to require every ounce of our strength and a lot of courage. Our prayers may or may not get answered. Miracles may or may not happen as we desperately want them to. But through people like Abraham and Sarah, his 12 fumbling disciples, and people like us, God decided our our resurrected Lord built this church. And as we sit together week after week in our church communities, following sincerely but imperfectly, we continue to learn to put aside our own needs. We become the face of Christ to each other and to all God's children whom this good news is for. We extend forgiveness 70 times 7. We say we're sorry, and we love our enemies even when we're told not to. And we put one foot in front of the other, knowing that we will occasionally be embarrassingly humbled. Well, we can't go to, all go to the DRC or Syria, somebody recently said to me, and that's true. We can't all go across the world endangering our lives. We can't all be Kayla Mueller or Michael or Zaida. But when we say those things, we sometimes let ourselves off the hook. And yet the words are clear. Take up the cross and follow. There might be something God wants us to do to relieve suffering and injustice somewhere, maybe even around us. Maybe we're just stuck on what we can't do instead of the possibilities of what we can do. If you want to be my followers, Jesus said, you must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you will destroy it. And if you give up your life for me and for the good news, you will save it. That is salvation. It's not just repeating some words, but living in love as Jesus came to show us. And it's hard. I wish that it wouldn't have taken thousands of years to declare slavery immoral. And I wish it wouldn't still be happening. But it did change because of people's risk and courage and their lives. Now, Bob and I haven't been at East Chestnut Street long but we've been here long enough to see that this congregation does a lot in the community, in the greater Mennonite church, and in the world. And this sermon isn't intended to pile on guilt or to make you feel like you need to be busier than you already are. I hope that what it does is invite you to recognize a faith 
that is able to overcome fear, that it kindles a little bit or stokes that fire in your belly, that it will give us the sound assurance that we do have a peace, no matter what our circumstances, that can surpass all understanding through Jesus' grace and love. Now today we will partake in communion together. And as we lift, eat the bread and lift up the cup, I pray that God will give us the courage to be obedient to the call of Jesus, that together we can encourage one another to walk in the light, to expose the darkness, challenge the evil in this world with the certainty of believers and stand in the embracing love of Jesus. Amen.